This morning, I want to talk about the pain, the power, and the poor, all right? The pain, the power, and the poor. Whenever I said power in America, they had no idea what I said, okay? And so I, I continually had to say power, all right? So if I go to power, then you know it's just for the Americans in the room. The pain, the power, and the poor. Okay, 2 Kings and uh, <laughs> chapter 4, and we're going to read the first seven verses. This will be a story that I guess may be familiar to some, maybe brand new to others. Either way, it's fascinating. And I think probably some of my favorite characters in the Old Testament are Elijah and Elisha, okay? I just love the stuff. I love all the stuff that they do. I love the, the passion. I love the confidence. I love how they just say things and God does stuff. I love the prophetic nature. I love the, it all, okay? And this is just a great story, and there's something I think God wants to share with us in it this morning. So, uh, The Widow's uh, Olive Oil is the little subtitle I have above my chapter uh, in my Bible, and it says this, verse 1, chapter 4, 2 Kings, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, and she said, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me this, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, then go around, then ask all your neighbors for empty, say empty, empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Just go and ask for loads of jars and make sure there's nothing in them. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to pour the oil into all the jars. Can you imagine her head? Okay, you want to pour all that oil into the jars, and uh, what happens? Each one gets filled, just put it to the side. Verse 5, so she left him, shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, all right, bring the next one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. And so she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, okay? You and your sons can live on what is left. Amen? Great stuff, isn't it? It really is. And every time I go away, everybody, okay, something happens at home, all right? Always, all right? This time, it was mega, okay? The washing machine quit, all right? There was a, a bit in the ceiling in the living room, fell down, and then there was uh, the oil. The oil ran out, okay? So, Judith loves it whenever I go away, because we can set our clocks, that stuff's going to happen. Now, if I go back about five years ago, remember the beast from the east, the cold, that weather snapped way back in the day? Well, I was over in Copenhagen. There was a guy that was on the Cornerstone there. He worked for Dance Bank, and he said... I was kind of post-Cornerstone, come, come and hang out with me in Denmark for a week. All right. I didn't need to pray that one through, okay? And so I went over there, and beast from the east, frantic weather, we're getting snowed in. The little mermaid had ice sculptures to the side of her, all of that. But I got a call from Judith that was about 10 at night, 10, 10.30. Can you guess what happened? The oil, everybody. 
had ran out, okay? Beast from the east. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm sitting in, a, in an apartment in Copenhagen, maybe 25 degrees on the inside. Toasty. And uh, she, not so much with the kid. Her sister was staying over, and I said, okay, there's no oil man that's going to be able to get oil to you now. What you're going to have to do is take the, an oil drum, go to a petrol filling station, fill the oil drum, bring it back to the house, put it in yourself, right? And then refire the boiler. All right? Happy enough? God bless. All right. So her sister was staying with us, or with her anyway. She was up for moral support. And so her sister was dispatched off. And so through FaceTime, everybody, through FaceTime, I'm sitting in a t-shirt in Copenhagen, watching her in the snow, try to take off the lid of the oil tank, get step ladders to the oil tank, stand over the top of the thing, put the whatever, the oil in, all right, lift the, the cover off the burner, and then we reset button on the red box, trying to whack that so the oil would take, okay? It wasn't a strong point in our marriage, okay? And I had to double the gifts that I brought home for sure, all right? Let me ask you this. Does it feel like in your life you've run out of oil? Sometimes it can feel that way. I know churches and, you know, I know people who feel that they've run out of anointing or they feel they've run out of ideas. They, they feel they've run out of puff. I know, and I speak into marriages who feel that they've run their distance. They feel they've run out of whatever it needs to keep a marriage going. But crucially this morning, I also know believers who feel they've run out. They feel they've run out of anointing. They feel they've run out of future. They feel they've run out of rope. They feel they've run out of pathway. They feel they've run out of ideas. God is, is, is not as close or as real as he used to be. And I'm asking you this morning in the room, because you'd never be honest, would never tell the truth, and please don't put your hand up, of course, but do you feel that you've run out? run out of maybe hope, run out of faith, run out of joy, run out of this ability to love others? Do we feel we've run out of direction and purpose? There are people all over your workplace and all over your homes and all over the world who feel they have run out. They are living life on an empty tank, trying desperately in, in a cold snap, if you will, to fill up an empty tank, trying to pour something into their hearts that's going to catch fire in the boiler of their spirit to release heat and to release energy, only to find that it's not the right stuff, it's not enough, it doesn't just seem to work. Well, today, everybody, what we're going to do is we're going to ring the oil man. We're going to ring heaven's oil man, okay? We're going to ring Jesus, and we're going to see if Jesus would come and fill our tanks to the full, but not only that, help us with a strategy to stay full, amen, to stay full, whether it's the high summer that we're in, because this is probably it, isn't it? Amen. We got to Thursday, I think, so let's make the most of it. Or whether it's the beast from the east or the west or the north, or whatever it is that's relentlessly attacking us. God wants to fill in the room this morning. Amen. In our story, we have a, a situation of desperation. Desperation. We've got to think in Bible times, in ancient culture. We meet a family of believers the husband has passed away, and you know in, in that culture, when a husband passed away, it was almost tantamount to destitution for everyone that was left. 
So this was panic stations. We meet a family with what they believe was an empty tank. There's nothing, I've nothing at all. But it's not just that. It's a story of hope, everyone. It's a story of miraculous turnaround. It's the revelation of the heart of a loving God. And there's a couple of things that I want to share today that I hope will bless you. And maybe your tank is full. Well, do you know what? Record them because I know this, that vision leaks, faith leaks, joy leaks, life leaks, okay? So maybe hold on to them. But maybe you know what? You're feeling empty today. Well, do you know what? Then lean into this as well. So let me give you three things and then we're done. The first thing is this. I want us to, number one, strategically pour out your pain, okay? Let's do that strategically. And the first way we're going to do that is to increase our resistance to resignation. I want us to increase our resistance to resignation. To help me illustrate this point, I want to show us a little clip, okay, from... um, I think it's Britain's Got Talent or Something's Got Talent. Maybe it's America, whatever. Maybe you've seen this before. It's a phenomenal little sort of story of a girl who just sings. It's a deaf girl, and she sings and writes her own music. And there's a cracking line that she says in the middle of it that I want to jump on when I come back. Incredible girl. And uh, for me, this is just a perfect illustration of someone who increased her resistance to resignation. She got up there and she said, you know what? I wanted more from my life than to give up. I wanted more from my life to give up. And I want to encourage you today that the very first step in a strategy to getting full and then to staying full is to increase your resistance to my resistance to the status quo of your current circumstances. We meet a desperate woman, I said earlier on, but she's more than a desperate mother of two sons. She is broke and she cannot pay her debts. And so if she can't pay her debts, her sons are carried off to be slaves in order to work off her debts. Now, what I discovered as I was studying for this talk was this, that if this is a completely legal thing to do, this wasn't like some bad lads coming in to wreck the place and steal some sons. Not at all. This was the biblical way. This was the way they were to sort out debts. And so what would happen is the creditors would come, they'd take the two boys, and they would keep the boys either to work off the debt or release them at the next year of Jubilee. Either way, that's how this would work. And so there was something in the life of this woman where she could have said, oh, well, it's in the Bible. Oh, well, it's in, it's in the Bible, so this is what's going to happen. Off you go, lads. I've packed a little couple of suitcases, bit of lunch. Off you go, and I'll see you in anywhere between one to seven years. I'll still be here. Not sure how I'm going to make it because I've no money. Now you're away. There's no chance of me earning because I'm a widow in this type of culture, in this type of uh, environment. But I hopefully I'll still be here, but all the best. But there's nothing in this woman to suggest that at all. There's something in her life, there there must have been a moment where she increased her resistance to resignation. There was something in her that says, I want more from my life than to lose my sons. I want more from my life than to feel this empty. And so what she did was she engaged her family faith and she sought out Elisha. She says, God is bound to come in. God is bound to help. And everything changed for her. It really did. But nothing would have changed for her until she decided, I am not having this. She strategically poured out her pain to God and going to Elisha. 
I was listening to a podcast this week from a, from a guy. Some of you will know a guy called Dick Foth. He's an American uh, pastor, and he worked in Washington, D.C. for years, and I think he lives somewhere about Denver, Colorado. Anyway, he has this great sort of podcast thing out there. I recommend it to you if you are a podcast listener, Dick Foth, F-O-T-H. And it's, it is inspirational Bible teaching, 15 minutes, not super long. But the one I listened to this week, he talked about circumstances. And he said this, circumstance can touch your day, but they can't steal your dream. That's so good. We have to find ways, everybody, that when circumstances come our way, they don't infuse the very spirit of who we are. They can touch our life. They can touch our body. They can enter into our world. But you know what? In faith, in Jesus, they can't steal your dream. They cannot get on the inside to deter the path and God's path for your life. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 to 34, we meet this, again, another favorite story of mine. These boys shouting out to Jesus. They're, they're blind. And the Bible says this, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, another term for Messiah, so they knew who he was. Even though they couldn't see him, they still knew who he was. Incredible faith. They said, have mercy on us. But the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Oh, they must have been Irish, because I said this, they shouted all the louder. Then listen to the crowd, and they went for it. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. And I love this story for all sorts of reasons. It's another talk that I have on the power of the crowd. We cannot be taken over with the power of the crowd. But what I love so much about this is that they shouted all the louder. Even though circumstance touched their day, it wasn't going to steal their dream. That Jesus was walking by, even though their tank was empty, they refused to remain that way when Jesus was so close. So they shouted all the louder. We don't know how long these men were blind. We have no idea. But you know what? They increased their resistance to resignation. Even when the crowd screamed at them, they strategically poured out their pain to God. And sometimes we are, like the blind men, surrounded by circumstance. And we allow the circumstance in. We allow the circumstance to speak to us like the crowd and we become silenced. Your diagnosis, it's too much. That sin is too great. You're too old. You are too young. You will never marry. You will always be single. You will whatever. We allow the crowd to speak to our circumstance and then it gets into our dream and we sit there and we are quiet and we remain empty. Well, I want to encourage you today, let's not be quiet anymore. It is time for you and I to shout louder in Jesus' name. Jesus is always passing by everyone. We don't have to wait for a moment. Is this Jesus near? No, no, no. Jesus is right here. He's in you if you love the Lord. He's in you by his spirit. He's in front of you by his word. He is always on, always here. 
And you know what? We must be a people that in certain seasons in our lives to be unafraid to shout loud. Amen. So let us, whatever the emptiness that you feel today, don't let's not sit there anymore feeling empty. Let's not sit there feeling this is my lot in life. Let's not sit here and think we're going to be resigned to this forever. You are not. It's time to increase your resistance to whatever the sense of resignation is that you feel and strategically pour out your pain to God. Amen. The second thing briefly is this. We're going to learn then to assume a pouring posture. A pouring posture. Verse 2 in our text says this. Alicia replied to her, how can I help you? And then you, I wanted to have a little bit of a brain wave. Tell me this. What do you have in your house? Well, all she had was two sons. That's all she could see. She says, your servant has nothing. I don't have nothing of value. I've got this small, not even a jar of olive oil. She said, it's a small jar of olive oil. It's tiny. It has no real value. I could use it for my anointing at my funeral. I could maybe make one little loaf of bread out of it. I could do so. I don't know, but it's a small jar of olive oil. That's all we have left. Trauma does that, everybody. That's what trauma does. I believe in trauma theft. Trauma steals. It's not just the issue that the trauma creates, but trauma has a way of impacting how you see your entire life. Trauma theft, it comes to steal your confidence. It comes to steal your faith. I remember we were in, I've maybe shared this already before, but we were in Nice, I don't know, a few years ago, one summer, not that long ago, maybe before COVID, that one. And last night on the beach, all my stuff was stolen off the beach. When I say all my stuff, I mean all my stuff. I mean watch, wallet, phone, keys to the apartment, the last night. Beautiful way to end. And, and, and the landlady's number on the phone, gone. Visions of us sleeping in some sort of gardens outside the hotel or the, the Airbnb thing, waiting for her at 11 o'clock to come and sign us out. Nightmare, nightmare. And, you know, we had to get Judah's phone running out of power. We had to get it charged, okay? And we had to put it into a policeman's car to get it charged. Then we had to book our apartment again the next day so we could get the lady's phone number to ring her. Oh, please, <laughs> don't even. But here's the thing. We were all at the airport, EasyJet stand, ready to fly home. And we we're all standing waiting in the queue as you do, busy, busy, summer, summer, whatever. And uh, the kids and Judith were all, oh, it was fantastic. I know last night was a thing, but that was fantastic. Loved it. We loved getting over here and this weather was on the beach. Daddy, we, we, loved, we had a great time. And all I could think about was this disturbed feeling within me of having been robbed. Trauma theft. It just robs you. It robs you of the joy of the moment. It robs the joy of, the, of a week-long holiday. This one thing took two or three hours to sort at the end of the day. But that's what it does. Trauma theft will rob you. 
rob you of your confidence, as I said, of faith, of that feeling of security. And sometimes it'll rob you of your points of reference, your anchor points for life. When you go through a thing, you're, you're shaken from the inside out, aren't you? You know you're in the same world, but nothing feels the same. Everything looks the same, but it doesn't quite feel like it's you. Sometimes it can feel like you're someone else behind your eyes. Does that make sense? You kind of feel like you're in someone else's realm or someone else's, but it doesn't quite feel like you're all kind of upset. I don't know how many of you in the room have experienced trauma theft, but I know this, that from when you become 18 and onwards in life, it's coming for you one way or the other. It's, it's going to arrive. It really is. And this lady is, is now a widow. She suffered the loss of her husband, and she is in the middle of trauma. And there is trauma theft. Elisha asks her, what does she have? And she replies, well, I've got nothing. Nothing in my house. Well, I've got this. I've got groceries. There's nothing. That's what it'll do. But why I recognize trauma theft, I believe in this. And this is where faith comes in in the Lord. I believe in trauma gain. Trauma steals, but with the right perspective, everybody, trauma gives. And this is the beautiful thing about having faith in the Lord, because by faith, we can even make trauma work for us. Trauma can change us. Trauma can build us. Trauma can make us strong in time. Trauma gain is this growing belief that God is still in control and can create somehow a stained glass window from the shattered pieces of whatever the trauma has been. Amen? Romans 8, 28, and it's, this, this verse is thrown around here in these type of circumstances, but we have to believe it to be true. And it says this, that we know in all things, in all things, when you lose your bag in Nice, okay, that in all things, when the diagnosis come back, when all things, when they lose your job, when you're made redundant, in all things, whatever it is, God works for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. That means you can do a full Joseph. You know what? You meant to harm me, but God has done it for my good. Trauma has this way, everybody, of catapulting you into realms of supernatural provision. How would you know he's a healer when you have nothing to heal? How would you know if he's a provider when you do not have lack? How would you know the elements of the nature of God until you're in the circumstance that requires him to move in that way on your behalf? How would we know? This is how trauma works. And even if you were to do a quick survey of the miracles of Jesus, you will discover very quickly that the overwhelming majority of them happen in times of trauma. Peter walks on water in a force 10 gale. He raises the widow's son. Well, it's in the, it's in the miracle. He's dead. He raises Lazarus, the ultimate trauma of all. Lazarus back from the dead. Healings, daughters on the way. Just say the word, Lord. Whatever issue of blood, trauma, ostracism, all of the miracles of Jesus happen in a moment of trauma theft. Christ comes along and it's trauma again. Do you know how you begin to shift from trauma theft to trauma gain? Here's how you do it. 
And nobody will want to do it. None of you want to do it. Because I don't want to do it. When I'm in the middle of my trauma, I want all eyes on me and my trauma. I'm tweeting about my trauma. I'm texting about my trauma. I'm waiting to see who's ringing me about my trauma. I want people to, how's your trauma? How are you doing? That's what happens. But here's how you begin to shift trauma theft. I was walking my hotel room last Saturday in a place called Urbana. It's urban with an A, Urbana, Illinois. Up and down, asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, can you, because you know the story so well, is there a fresh thing that I have never seen before? You guys have seen this before. This is new to me, right? So humor me. Here's how you begin the shift from trauma theft to trauma again. Look at what Elisha asked her to do. Go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. And that's awkward for a start, isn't it? Go around, tell everybody you're broke. Put on Facebook, hi, need your help. We've got nothing. And then he says, don't ask for a few. Tell everybody. Then go inside. What do you do? Shut the door. Behind you and your son, let's make it private. Pour oil into the jars. That's that wee tiny itty bitty part that you have there. And as each one is filled, put it to the side. Do you know how she got her miracle, everybody? Do you know how she got her miracle? By pouring what little she had into the emptiness of others. She gathered the emptiness of all of her neighbors and she poured what little she had into their emptiness. Trauma loss screams at you that you have lost everything. But trauma gain defies the lie of the enemy. And trauma gain declares, no, 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 that I, when I allow God to help me see my value in life, that I still have value, then I will find emptiness around me. And when I'm able and when I can do it, I will pour into other people's emptiness because when I do, I release God's power into empty vessels. And what this story tells us is that we build others up, we get our breakthrough. John 6 in the Bible, I'm not going to read it all. You know the story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Talk about emptiness on a huge scale. Empty bellies. Everybody's starving. And you know the story. And with one packed lunch from a child who was willing to sow into the emptiness of others, 15,000 people are filled. And I think this is one of the few miracles that's in all of the Gospels. You see, people who understand and are willing to apply trauma again, we meet them in Psalm 84. They're in there. Psalm 84, 5 and 6 says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Here it is. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Baca, B-A-K-A, means weeping. As they pass through the valley of weeping, the valley of tears. But blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord. Because we know now they still have joy. Because the joy of the Lord is my 
so we still have joy. No matter what the trauma is, trauma will be gained to me. It will not steal from me. It will give to me. And so I have joy. I'm going to set my heart on the journey. Just because I'm in a traumatic moment does not mean I have stopped. It does not mean I don't have steps to take. It does not mean I have no journey in God. So I'm setting my heart on pilgrimage. I still have things to do and people to see. And as I pass through my weeping, as I pass, because it comes to go, as I pass through the valley, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it a place of springs. I'm going to turn the place of weeping into a place of joy. That's what trauma gain. I'm taking what little I have in my season of weeping and I'm going to pour it out in my season of weeping. And as I pour out, and not every day I might have the mood for it, not every day I might have the strength for it, but when I can and when I have, I'm going to pour out what little value I have that I feel that I have, but I'm going to bless others, I'm going to build others, I'm going to make it a place of springs. Amen? This is how we begin to shift our perspective from trauma theft to trauma gain. It is about having that posture of the poor because trauma wants you to the posture of retreat. But God says, no, no, I want you to have the posture. What if she said no? There is no way, Alicia. Look at this tiny, itty, bitty, wee 50 mils of olive oil. And you want me to go around the whole country, tell everybody that I'm broke, see if I can borrow a few of them, not a few, but they're all their empty jars, and you want me to wind your neck in. Wise up, Alicia. Not at all. What does she do? My strength is in you. My heart is set in pilgrimage. My heart is set in the journey. And through this season, I will pour. I will have the posture of pouring, not onto me, but onto others. And we're learning, everybody, as we pour onto others, we begin to get our breakthrough. And the final thing is this. Maybe, do you want to come back up, big man? And the final thing, really, really simple. And we've got to learn this, that the power is in power is in the poor. Power is in the poor. We're going to strategically pour out our pain to God. We're going to increase our resistance to resignation. Then we are going to assume the posture of the poor. We're going to shift from trauma theft to trauma gain. Whatever it is that has you empty, we're going to make that work for us. And the way we make it work for us is to pour in what little we have. And it might be a little, but you know what? It's a lot in God. And the final thing is this. Now we have the, the posture of the poor. Let's pour. In John chapter 2, we read about the first of Jesus' miracles. Who knows what the first miracle was? Water to wine. There you go. Wedding. Ran out of wine. Nightmare. This would be like rocking up to, when my sister got married, the band didn't turn up. A bit like that, this is worse. Scandal. 
you've what? You didn't plan for this? No money. Can you imagine? Like it was a good day, but did you hear? I'm only telling you for prayer. <laughs> just for the Lord want you to know, just for prayer reasons. But uh, they ran out of wine. They what? Did you ever hear? I have never been to a wedding around in a wine. That's mental. <laughs> they just didn't think that through. Forever no. That poor father-in-law. Father. Known as the guy. Ran out of wine. Then Mary rocks up. Do whatever he tells you to do. She says. And so he steps in. And he tells him to fill what? Two what? Two what? What sort of jars? Big jars. jars. Lovely. It's not what I'm going for. (laughs) Work with me. What sort of jars would they have been? Empty. Oh, they were empty, you see. Divinity is drawn to empty doesn't want you full, he wants you empty, then he can fill you. And he says, fill them with water. Don't fill them with wine, because there isn't any wine. Fill them with water. And then he says, tell them to draw. I need you to pour from the jars. And the minute they started to pour, the water turned into wine. They had no more wine, watch this, but they had water. What little they had, they put into emptiness. They strategically poured out their heart to Jesus. They assumed this posture of pouring by filling up the jars, because if you're going to fill them, you know you're going to pour out of them. We're obeying the Lord. We're going to step in. And they discovered that as they poured, there was the power. I remember an unemployed girl in Derry way back in the day at Cornerstone. I was preaching there, obviously, and she was encouraged by a sermon that I preached, and she felt as a result of it that she should apply for a nursing degree. All of the nursing and allied healthcare stuff courses have all moved from the University of Ulster in Belfast. They've all moved to Derry. And so she would live there. I'm going to apply for this course. So she applies. It's a highly prized course, highly fought after, etc. But anyway, she prayed, she applied, she got the place. Hooray! God answered her prayers in a way that before that sermon that she didn't believe was possible. Is she a nurse today? No. Let me tell you why. She didn't bother finishing the degree. In her despair, she asked God for a breakthrough. And God gave her a breakthrough. He filled her emptiness and got her a sense of place and a sense of call. But she didn't pour out what God put in. And today, to my knowledge, she's still unemployed. Guys, we have to pour out what God puts in. And even just a little thing, we, we got to pour it out. Am I making sense? What if we could do this between now and the end of summer? 
as an individual, just where you are and in your life, but collectively even as a local church. What do we do this if we're here and, and trauma is threatening to reduce your life down to its size? Why don't we ask God for jars that He can pour into and pour out of and then we can bring and pour out into other people's lives and worlds? And I'm going to say this to you already. Some of you have got jars that are sitting empty and, and, and that's great and God's going to pull into those. But some of you have jars already and they're sitting full and you're not pouring out of them. Hip, hip. Come on, I want to encourage you. Your car is God's taxi. Yes? So let's begin to pour it out for one another. Your house is God's hotel. So let's use it for the kingdom of God. Everything that God's put in you, your instrument, your gift, your calling, your anointing, that's God's instrument. Some of you, you used to sing. Some of you used to preach. Some of you used to lead. Some of you used to take kids. Some of you used to host. Some of you did ah, da, 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 da. And now we're sitting here feeling empty and God says, no, no, no. I want you to pour out what I've put in. There's power in the poor. It is time to stop sitting there idly going, I wonder when God's going to move. No, no, God's already moved. You move. Trauma theft. Come on. And I get it. We've all been there. But your part of the recovery is pouring out. I got friends in Derry, Peter and Jen Finch. I don't know if they still do this, but for years, every Sunday, they would go to McDonald's drive-thru before church. Those rock in with coffee and do you know the smell of those hash browns? It's always the hash browns, isn't it? You have to have the hash browns. It's the law. There's no point having the thing. You've got to have the, ha- the meal. What they would do is they'd drive up to the, the thing at the, where you pay, the, the window, and they'd pay for the meal of the person behind them. Dodgy, innit? Well, you know it's only going to breakfast, not so bad. Check's not a four by four fellow wins, you know. That's what they used to do. But they poured out. They just poured out because they understood that there was power in the poor. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand. We're going to friend, we're going to worship. Then wrap this up. Come on. Holy Spirit, we're going to invite you to move right now. Father, I want to speak right now to anyone in the room with trauma gain and trauma theft. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, we're going to. Lord, dig deep this week by your grace and in your strength. Father, would you help us make trauma work for us? Lord, that we're going to build our faith. That Lord, if we go through the, the, the valley of Baca, Lord, we do that because our, our heart is set on pilgrimage. You are our strength, so we have joy in the Lord. No matter what, we're not going to allow our circumstances, Lord, to defeat our dream. We're just not going to do it. The circumstance will not defeat our calling. It will not rob our anointing. It will not take our identity. It will not take all the things, Lord, that you have poured in. We cannot sit in the pews any longer and not pour out into the lives of others. We are made for so much more in life. doesn't matter how little we feel we have. Who could use this? I don't have. No, no, no. It's a lie of the enemy, Lord. We pray, God, by your Spirit, you begin to see that whatever our equivalent is of the little olive oil, the little jar of anointing, the little jar of gifting, the little jar of blessing, the little jar of protection, the little jar of healing, whatever our gift is, Lord, would you help us pour that out this week when we don't feel like it, when everything is up against us this week, when there's a chance to bless 
Lord, would you help us to give away that which we need the most? Holy Spirit of God, Lord Jesus. And as we pour out, Lord God, I just want to pray for breakthroughs. I want to pray, Lord, for breakthrough. Lord, the chains would snap, Lord God. Lord, anxieties would be broken. Depressions would lift, Lord God. Bodies would be healed. Lord, something significant would happen. Lord, a job would come through. Lord, just whatever the financial release is given in Jesus' name. As we just take this moment of trauma but say, you know what, this is it, but it's still going to pour. I'm still going to pour. I'm still going to pour. And I'm still going to pour. And I'm still going to pour. Come on, let's raise our hands up. Let's go, come on. Father, I pray, Lord, into these vessels, into these vessels right now that feel empty, would you pour out your spirit? Would you pour out faith in the room, Lord God, to acknowledge what we're listening to, what we're hearing today is, is from your heart to ours. Pour out your lovely spirit today, right around the room. We ask it all in Jesus' name.